0: Hello and welcome to episode 164 of What Most People Think. Uh, Jeff is back, back in the country. The weekend I went to a family wedding in the south of... Was it in the south of... I don't even know where it was in France. I flew to an airport... Someone drove me to a place. It was definitely French. I could tell that by the hand gestures and the amount of bread and cheese. And that sounds incredibly stereotypical, but it is actually true. And uh, I was I was the celebrant at my sister's wedding. I've got to say, man, I think that there is an industry in there. I wasn't like you know, I didn't have to do any qualifications or anything. But um, but the, the ego that goes with marrying two people, I was straight away. I was talking like, um, you know the you know the vicar in the Simpsons. We are gathered here today to join in matrimony, holy and forthright, hellfire and damnation. I didn't say hellfire and damnation, but um, I mean, there, there is that incredible thing about weddings, isn't it? Like obviously women have a lot of stress, a, a hell of a lot of stress about what they're going to wear, how they're going to prepare, you know, free choices of outfits, all all this stuff. But in fairness, the payoff to that is that they might wear an outfit that people will remember, <laughs> For all time. Oh, my God. Do you remember That dress you wore with the bodice and the, the lace back. You know, p- women will remember that shit. As a man, I, d- I don't know anybody that goes, Oh, Jeff, do you remember that suit that you wore for that wedding that was the suit that you were wearing during that three-year period generally for all formal events? Oh, you look so... I mean, the, 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 best, the best you can get as a man is that um, someone will say, Oh, you look smart. <laughs> That's it. You look smart. You scrub up well. You scrub up well, uh, Whereas women, women will get like that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. You're a vision. You just, oh, I just, I just got such a, just got goosebumps looking at you. <laughs> no one ever got goosebumps looking at the the groom. Unless the groom was one of that top 1% of good looking men, they can get that reaction. But you've just got to be Bradley Cooper or David Beckham. I don't, I don't know. A lot of people have gone off Beckham. But he did cue, didn't he? He cued for the Queen. Not like Holly and Phil. Not like Holly and Phil. It's amazing how much shit they're getting for that. I mean, I, I just it was one of those issues that I struggled to be motivated over. But, um, but like, just the way, just what a big issue this has become now is that we all have very strong views on on. I mean, like, they couldn't have, in a way, they couldn't have done anything more offensive to the British public. Even the guy that tried to sort of like break out of line and approach the coffin—it was like at least he queued. <laughs> And before anyone, for the right wingers now try, because I've had a couple of people messaging me going, "That was a bit flippant. That was a bit inappropriate." Fuck you. I'm a comedian first, but I do love the royal family. Just going back, yeah, we'll talk about that a, a bit for, as the show goes on. But um, just going back to the wedding, one of the things I realised on the following day, we had everyone had a good drink on the Saturday night and on the Sunday. There's there's various terminology that goes with uh, being hungover, isn't there? Um, is one is like uh, I don't feel too bad actually. Those people just want to slap, don't they? I don't I don't feel too bad actually. Look, one is you're, you're still drunk, all right. Well, what that really means is, given the fucking toxic amount of alcohol that I threw down my neck, I I don't want to kill myself. So that's not too bad. And then there's a oh, feeling a bit delicate. Uh, they do want to kill themselves. And then there's just another one where they don't make a noise when when you when you ask them how they are and they just raise their eyebrows they can't just speak in just feels like another another tiny death so um there was a bit of that going on there's a bit of that going on and and then we flew back uh on the sunday night and of course there was the uh the royal funeral on the monday and then when it came to oh by the way you know this is if you've listened to for the first time this is what most people think this is i suppose a podcast from the comedy world that I, i'm sure there were plenty of my Colleagues in comedy that had some affection for the Queen. Uh, certainly, looking at social media, they weren't a majority. So, I'm I'm happy to admit that uh, I watched the funeral, I got emotional, and it turns out that I have, well, riderless ponies. It, it, those who know, know, right? That moment where you saw the rider, like, this a pony, she loved ponies. No, no, her and the pony. Oh, I'll go, if I start, and, and bagpipes. What was about the lone bagpipe? But that guy got me twice. So first up in the service at Westminster Abbey, I'm like, "Where's he going? Don't go, don't go, bagpiper, stay, stay." And I was like, "Okay, fuck, I didn't realise that. that'd make me so emotional." Then we had the riderless pony, and then bagpipe guy strikes again, doesn't he? I'm like, "Don't, don't you, don't you dare walk away, don't you dare walk away." But um, look, I would say this is that you know I have some sympathy for how you know, the coverage in the intervening period between the Queen dying and the funeral. It did get to some weird places, but I would say that the day itself, man, I don't know who planned that day, but could they please do Brexit and other things? You know, could they just, could they take over the economy? Because that was a fucking roaring success. Okay, the main talking point last episode we were um, we were talking about uh, many things really, um, but also the the surname Goebbels because there's certain surnames really that's uh, you know historically is a big shout to still have them, and um, we wonder wondering if there's still any people left called Goebbels. Uh, David informed us that Goebbels still exist in Teutonic world, mostly Western Germany. There was recently a socialist MEP from Luxembourg with that surname. Uh, Himmler and Goering can still be found too, but Hitler is rare now. Um, presumably owing to people to people changing their surname i mean yeah i mean anyone if you still got that name and look you go look my family haven't done anything wrong it was our family name long before that guy started ruining it for the hitlers (laughs) i mean he didn't he absolutely ruin it for us hitlers there's just probably about four of them that have left there a whatsapp group you know because they couldn't go on facebook because they'd attract the wrong kind uh, we also spoke last week um, with Andrew Doyle about the sugar glass maker and we spoke about poetry and then we sort of came to a conclusion that there was something about the fact that you could make very beautiful things with sugar glass like fake glass for film sets and stuff but they would always be broken and uh, a couple of people took up the 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 offer to write a really shit poem about the sugar glass maker so I'll read a couple of them out um, this is from David Smith the sugar glass maker her bottles are faker then a couple of old lesbians by the way that's a reference from last week's show before the cancel brigade pipe up um, her bottles are faker than a couple of old lesbians frightening scared thespians thesby i like that because that rhyme doesn't properly work class struggle will prevail davy boy smith's holy grail so set it up comrade cuz this poem is a grade i like that i mean the rhyme scheme is fucking all over the shop We've got some half rhymes there that don't really work. Good effort. We've also got this from Tim Crudus. Um, So this is again his take on the sugar glass maker. Weep for the demotivated sugar glass makers. No wonder there's not that many takers in brackets. Love the use of brackets there. So bad. A shattering task to manufacture. A product destined for immediate fracture. They've got the bottle, but they've got the arse. Not even allowed to make proper glass. More brackets. It hurts like a blow across the head dot 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 but not really i mean tim i love i love your use of uh, punctuation there to make it worse the brackets made it worse and then the dot 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 or the ellipsis he says a former english teacher but not really just just so incongruous and clunky well played everybody there um new patrons so a board level by the way board level members check your messages because a very significant board level benefit has been communicated to you and that is in the works uh also by the way this is for all patreons i'm looking at doing a jeff norcott and friends gigs next year a couple of gigs in the spring uh and this will be in london and leeds and i'm sorry i know there's lots of places but i just have to pick places where i know promoters friendly promoters that can put on the show and aren't you know overly sensitive about who we book and stuff like that um so that will be uh in the spring of next year two shows one in london one up north Um, And that'll be a bit like a What Most People Think get-together. That'll be guaranteed free entry for board members and VIPs. Probably I'll I'll also be able to offer tickets at all tiers, but I'll just have to see what the initial uh, take-up is like. So just keep your eyes out for that. That's a significant Patreon benefit at all levels, which will be coming very soon. Uh, a A board member, and these are people that are voluntarily upgraded to 20 quid, uh, and above. We had Andrew Welch. Now, I spoke about Andrew uh, the other week, and I did some shit joke about him welching on the deal. And God love him. He <laughs> he went to 20 quid and then took it back down again. He welched on the deal. What? I mean, this is commitment to the bit. And then he went back up. He went back up. So he's still a board member. And uh, Karen, get him a coffee. Uh, we got some VIPs. John Winter. I think there seem to be a lot of returners there, as I keep saying. Patreon always bump you out. Thank you thank you to the people that check and then get involved again. But John Winter. I mean, I probably did this one first time, John. But whenever you get invited somewhere in a WhatsApp group, it must give you great pleasure to say, Winter is coming. Winter is coming. I mean, Game of Thrones reference there. And this one, I think, is definitely a new one. It's Ian Spammon. Ian Spammon, is that a real name? Is that a, I'm Googling this. Surname, no. You fucking, it's not your real name. Ian Spammon. Ian Spamman, I mean that you what you what you do sound like. You sound like a fucking Viz character, don't you? Ian Spamman, just about some kid with a gigantic spam. Uh, he's probably been withdrawn as a character because of political correctness. you know, yeah, we shouldn't actually you know. There are a lot of uh, kind of uh, sort of hereditary reasons people might have massive foreheads. But back in the day, Ian Spamman was well funny, like. Um, okay, let's do a quick thank you and a fuck, you. fuck I haven't told you this week's guest is, what? Uh, we've got a brilliant guest, Josh Howie. Josh is a comic I've worked with for many years. Uh, Josh, some of you will know him for appearing on uh, GB News, Headliners, he's uh, written sitcoms, he's also been on a bit of a political journey himself, you know, being uh, of the Jewish faith or, <laughs> and, uh, you know, sort of having having debates and discussions with people during the Corbyn years on the left, uh, he's also got involved in a number of other sort of hot button debates, which make him a very interesting person to talk to. So I'll be speaking to him shortly. But before that, let's have the thank you and the fuck you. So I promised not to mention social media too much in this episode, but there was a very funny moment. Zara Sultana, um, Zara Sultana, who does still sound like um, to me... Um, a sort of character in a J.K. Rowland book, which I think would probably be a massive insult to her. Um, But she's very progressive and right on, very left-wing, part of the Enough is Enough campaign. Got a lot of fans and stuff, but she overreached slightly here. Um, She said, My train to Leeds for tonight's Enough is Enough rally has just stopped just outside London for the last three hours. Sorry not to be there, Leeds. And then she uses this to make a political point. Just another reminder that we need to bring rail into public ownership and make it fit for the future. God bless London Northeastern Railway, LNER. Uh, some guy called Cameron who deserves a fucking medal. He says, I'm sorry for the delay, Zara. This was due to damage on the overhead electric wires, meaning services could not move around Stevenage, but services are now on the move. On your other point, LNER is owned by the DFT after the franchise was handed back in
1: 2018.
0: Boo! <laughs> I think Cameron, I don't know if Cameron's a Tory or he just gets sick of people saying that. But uh, yeah, that was that was a, that was a bit of fun there. You know, I'm sure Zara Sultana will take it uh, in good humour because I mean, if anything, her tweet then actually points to the fact maybe we shouldn't renationalise railways. If essentially her tweet achieved the opposite of what she wanted, ah, uh, we've all been there, mate. Don't worry about it, Zara. And the fuck you is to uh, Vladimir Putin. I mean, when you stop and think about how this prick has sort of changed the fabric of our political timeline because of whatever insecurities and just antiquated views about Russia and... I mean, it's a lot, isn't it? You know, it's... And... And it's gone badly for him recently uh, in Ukraine. It's, it's quite clear now. At first, I thought, you know, is this just Western spin? But, you know, it's quite clear that you, with a lot of backing, the Ukrainian forces have, have launched a decent counterattack. So he's now given this speech where he's gone for the partial mo- mobilization of all Russia. I mean, if there is a sign to any kind of sort of Russian who's a bit in the middle, like, uh, I don't think it's going that well. Uh, just saying, you know, my you know my uncle got called up, so maybe maybe a special military operation in Ukraine, not so not so snappy. Hmm? He's then insinuated again, as he has many times, about nuclear weapons. He always he's always points to London as well. It's almost like you know America's the big lad, and 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 Britain is the slightly smaller lad. So he's thinking, oh, I'm I'm not going to piss off the big lad too much. You go, but London, I fuck you up one time. I a nuclear bomb for London. Well you might want to you might want to check that with your mates who own property here, mate. I mean that might be the final thing that actually gets Putin out of power. Like he just gets uh, some sort of coup of Russian oligarchs going, he's lost it this time. I have twenty one million pound mansion in London. Fuck you. Um but I also thought, like at this point, as we're moving into autumn, right? You know, sad news around What with the Queen, rising prices, life's tough. You know, it's weird still, post-Covid, that weirdness that none of us really talk about, the weirdness, you know, the post-Covid weirdness that hasn't really left. I'm like, you know what, bring it on. Stop going on about it, Vladimir. Send that fucking nuke over here. It'll be a blessed relief for some of us. I feel very tired at the moment. I'm, I don't know about you, since the temperatures dropped, I'm struggling to get up in the mornings. And yeah, you know, a nuclear war, I'd warm up nicely and then I'd be dead and all of this would be over. So yeah, don't fucking say it. we got to walk the walk, Vladimir. And he actually said, he also said, uh, I'm not bluffing, really. I mean, well, people that aren't bluffing tend to not need to say that they're bluffing. 100%. I swear down. I swear, I swear. Do you remember when you was a kid? People swear, like, I, like they'd always try and pull in someone emotive. I swear my little brother's life. I swear, my little brother, I swear on my little brother's life and I fucking love him, like, so much as well. So don't you dare say that I don't because that boy is everything to me. I swear I'm not bluffing. I mean, as phrases go, I'm not bluffing. Is up there with uh, oh, I like I like a good joke as much as the next man. No, you don't. The next thing that you're gonna say is something that shows that you're a humourless prick, and so is Vladimir Putin. Yeah, if you're listening, Russia, fucking put set your sights on where I live. Okay, take me out. If you if you want to give a sign to the West, I'm ready. I could do with the I could do with the PR. Okay, it's time for the chat with Josh Howey. Uh, I should say I've recorded this again after the chat because what happened, there was loads of stuff I wanted to speak to about Josh. But once we got speaking about um, and the Corbyn years and what it was like for Josh, who is a, who is a Jewish man and, and a left-wing person to be in and around that side of the fence politically, it, I just felt it was really compelling. So so just to let you know, that is going to be, be, you know, sort of Josh talking about that time in history a lot. And I hope you find it uh, as compelling as, as I did. So let's get into it with the chat with Josh Howie. A warm welcome making his debut on what most people think is the brilliant Josh Howie. Josh, welcome to the show. Hello. Lovely to see you. So we are recording this on Wednesday night, and you were you were racing against the clock. So you were coming back from somewhere on a plane. Where had you been?
1: I had been in Sark in the in the Channel Islands. So I had like got a ferry, a bus, a plane, a train, a bus, and then the car to pick up the kids.
0: <laughs> no and, and you know you know the worst thing is with podcasts is that you know there's certain working engagements where your other half will understand why you're stressing yeah. but saying i need to be back for this podcast doesn't really carry not, much weight not like, when
1: you've been away not when you've got five kids and you've been away for two days so you've i li- got five kids yeah this is why i'm in my cho- I, we, we i should explain to the listeners we're on zoom so you, we can yes. see each other so you can see in the background i'm in my daughter's bedroom uh, with There's a very
0: creepy, old-fashioned-looking baby doll just staring. Oh, uh, I move staring it. Staring against the wall. This
1: one.
0: <laughs> yeah, Fire. yeah. I mean, it's <laughs> like the doll. one. Yeah, just got thrown again, thrown against the wall. <laughs> it's a good thing we're we're not putting this out. So if one people wanted to grab that bit, they wonder what kind of club we were in. Um good. So that was was that getting away with the kids, and or is it? No,
1: no. I was. I w- And weirdly enough, uh Andrew Doyle. I don't, I hope he doesn't mind me saying this, but I got invited, but he was, had a bunch of mates and it was like a last minute thing and, um, and friend Martin, you know, headliners, um, mm-hmm. some TV news and, um, they went away and, and, um, and they were like, Hey, do you want to come? And it was great. It was just a really lovely couple of days. Friend of mine, Miriam, who's a brilliant artist. She used to be a stand up, and, uh, it was very chill. Didn't talk. Politics, that—it was just all very. Were you nice.
0: fascists together? I pay yeah, you any exactly. money? Yeah,
1: well, that's I'm sure how some people would like to, but but actually, it was us playing um a yeah. card game that I bought called Skulking and trying to. I'm basically my brainwashing isn't political. My brainwashing is to get people into board games. Into board games—that is, in some ways, more sinister. Absolutely, because it's a much bigger money pit. Than anything, <laughs>
0: than fascism.
1: Yeah, it just takes <laughs> up a lot more time and energy, and it just become takes over in a way that I imagine fascism doesn't.
0: So, you're speaking of fascism, obviously there were some people that saw the royal family. Uh, the royal funeral was evidence of, of its further creeping a British public life. Uh, yeah. Were you away for the the funeral, or were you were you across? I out? we would.
1: I was travelling as the funeral was going on, but we. But I've been. I feel somewhat part of the whole thing just because. We went on air a couple of days after, and it was, so I was on, I did a couple of shows on TV mm-hmm. in the aftermath of the Queen's death. And it was a very, um, it was very strange. I nearly started giggling on the first one, just because it, it's surreal. We were all in, you know, wearing black suits, yes. and you've got to be somber. And whilst I had real emotion, you know, upon finding out her, her death, it but suddenly you're in a studio a few days later and it's very, very surreal. Um, oh yeah. I
0: mean that pressure, that pressure is you're, everyone's the 14 year old kid. Yes. Uh, back at a church or any religious sort of like a place of worship. And you're told you, you do you, not love. You have
1: to be so, and I, and me more so because I am, as you know, just a bit of an idiot. Um, so it's very weird to suddenly find yourself in this adult type environment. Mm meant to be pontificating uh, about the stuff. But what is kind of great, and I guess this ties into stuff we'll talk about, is doing this headliner show, Which, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it's where you're going over the next day's uh, news headlines and through the next day's newspapers, is it really, uh, because you're explaining these stories and then trying to come up with like hot takes on it, it forces Mm. you to actually have an opinion about stuff. You wouldn't net that. And it's not that people don't necessarily have opinions. They might have gut reactions. But when you're forced to articulate things, you really have to sort of do a much more of a deep dive into all of these events that happen. And obviously nothing has been a bigger event than the Queen's death. I'm just saying you just, and it, that, of course, includes the uh, republicism and what we think about uh, yeah. in Charles now and all of that stuff the i mean obviously it's gb
0: news it has a show called free speech nation i guess it must have been tricky for them to then go uh by the way lads just uh
1: Tone <laughs> down. well this this is the great thing is that no one has ever said say this say that oh the only rule is not swearing and i don't mm. know do you want? i don't i assume you prefer me probably not to swear i don't know i
0: don't know i, I love swearing so okay yeah because i'm just yeah. a
1: massive swearer so that's that's the hard part for me but in terms of they, I've never had any input of um, please tone that bit down or whatever. I, you're given total free reign. Yeah. And that is just s- such an insane pleasure to be able to have a voice and to not feel constrained in any way. Um, but certainly there was this idea, just you're picking up on the, the tone of everything. So you, there is some self-censorship Um to a degree in, in terms of the, the queen, but not that I had like any desire to. Well, I mean, phrase.
0: that was, that was what I thought was, was, uh, interesting. And I suppose, you know, I saw some funny stuff about uh, the news because obviously when people say, Oh, you're making jokes about the queen, a lot of the funnier jokes weren't really, they were about things that you would notice about the coverage or the tropes yes. or the phrases that became really common. And, and it was interesting that, that, you know, there were people arrested for, Uh, having signs saying, not my king, you know, these kinds of things. So so that kind of mobilised the left-wing free speech uh, movement, which which was refreshing. It's been a while, isn't it? it? Nice
1: to see them step up (laughs) when it affects them. (laughs)
0: well we'll see when when the, when the next time sort of comes around to see see if they've really rediscovered uh that voice, but I suppose in a way you know what's often called cancel culture mm. it's a little bit of a misnomer because the problem is you can then go well, that person was canceled, but they're still working so yeah. it's it's a bad word in a way what it really means is 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 hypersensitivity and excessive consequences for yeah. small things to me that's that's is that is that how you sort of see it it's not about people never being able to work again it's just about the ridiculous uh reactions to 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 one tweet or one joke well
1: i mean there are some people who aren't able to work again and then there are some people Mm. the ones you hit this this is the difference it's the ones you hear about then they go Mm. well so people go oh well cancel culture isn't real but because of the result of you hearing about what happened like that artist who was doing the um doing sort of embroidery and she had a work band from the royal academy of art i think Mm. Because it was sort of saying women exist or something, you know, it was something like mm. science. And um, and so she they pulled all of her artwork. And because of that, she had a voice that she never had before, because every because lots of people were pulling their membership from the Royal Academy of Art. And then also she was selling more. So people would look at that and go, well, she didn't really get cancelled because well, only because it they kicked up a stink about it. And same with mm. kathleen stock we wouldn't have heard necessarily of kathleen stock uh who she explained to some uh, listeners that mm. uh she's a uh, philosopher who um had wrote a book material girls um all about like the eradication of the term women and all this is all goes into sort of gender ideology uh and her kind of i think she was sussex university and the abuse that she had over years not not being defended by the university at all and people go, but then because now she's got this book mm. or because she's got a higher profile, um, they would go, oh, well, she hasn't been canceled. That didn't, doesn't mean that people didn't try to cancel her. So it's yeah, maybe. Yeah, and the, the experience.
0: Yeah. And I often think that, you know, I spoke um, recently about Jimmy Carr. And one thing I, I regret leaving out was just that, yeah, yeah, of course, he's he's a, he's a wealthy man. And, you know, I, I hesitate to use words privilege, because I think that he has good things in his life, because he, he works hard to get them. Yeah, But the stress of that process is still exists, whether you're wealthy or not, you know, just thinking that, people are talking about you thinking that people hate you you know pe- feeling like you've you've u- upset people all of that stuff and then they may well just say well that's the consequence but in in some ways in a way in comedy we've we've got it better than some other industries because when you talk about like you say ballet theater the art world it's not as high profile in a lot of respects and there's a lot of stuff that's happened there that we just haven't heard that's, as much about uh,
1: that is the big point isn't it is that People try and say that cancel culture isn't real because they pick on these few cases where there are attempted councils and it may be backfired or raised people's profiles bigger. But of course, you're not seeing that all these other cancellations that have had an effect in their yeah. in people's not, you know, and certainly like say in the arts, these things are higher profile. But what about the people who have lost genuine, you know, people who have lost their lost their jobs in normal jobs, nurses whoever it is who who've presented facts that go counter to the narrative um and and thus haven't got the promotion they wanted or in you're seeing a lot of stuff in tech where certain people who have lost their job and then you don't and then you only read about the case like 2 years later or something and they have lost everything there are people out what? there who have lost everything for stating that um that sex is binary you know hmm. that, there it's happened and then sometimes you hear about it only long after the fact. So um someone like JK Rowling, uh, of course she hasn't been cancelled, but they but if they could, these activists would erase her figuratively and not some of them in reality. And just
0: to sort of give people an idea of, of sort of where you're coming from politically, yeah. so like if you just talk about like sort of left, right politics, say one is the far left, uh, 10 is the far right and five, you know, five and six are, are in the middle. Where, where, where would your politics typically Probably kind of go? A four. So four. sort of centre left. Centre
1: left, yeah. I mean, th- there's a great cartoon somewhere where uh, of this, uh, there's like little, of someone picking up the sign that says left and walking to it and putting themselves down and then, but net, and now it's like the far left is gone so far left, you know, so the mm. people on the far left wouldn't consider me for a four, you know what I mean? For them, no, no. the scale, if you're not a one or a two, then you're a 10. Everybody else is a 10 for them. Yeah. Um, and that's what's kind of, for me, it got, got this country partly the reason we are. And I'm sure that extremism goes on both sides, mm-hmm. but um for me, the far left have a lot to answer for in terms of the present predicament and getting Boris Johnson into power and whatever um, because of their, the purity politics and the purity spiral and no and no one ever being good enough. Um, do you... I mean, but, do
0: you... Like, when did that start to register for you? Because obviously we know uh, under Corbyn, the problem of anti-Semitism on the left was eventually... Fairly well documented, yeah. but when, when did you first get the stirrings that that you were on a side where? Hang on, you're looking around. You go, I'm not sure I'm in the trenches with the right people.
1: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's um. Well, this is. It. I think most people. I, I mean, look, people are listening to a podcast that they're more likely to be politically engaged, but the reality is, I think that most people aren't and are quite comfortable in whatever tribe they happen to find themselves in, even from family Mm. or background or um, and I my parents worked for the Labour Party even though my parents were wealthy but they did the PR I grew up sort of um, that Thatcher was bad and Labour was good and I just voted Labour as a default and that's probably. and then I remember Corbyn kind of getting in or even during the election campaign for him to be Labour leader and there were people I know knew who Uh, and Jewish people were like, yeah, okay, like, didn't really know anything about him, but I think people were just kind of feeling frustrated with what had happened over the previous few years, and Miliband hadn't worked out great. So Hmm. people were, and I think there was a general sense, and I sort of went along with it to a degree of excitement of someone who was different, who wasn't part of the political machine, seemingly. He seemed to have this integrity or whatever. Yeah. And almost immediately some little reports would start coming up and there's this idea now because we're going to have to talk about like israel and stuff is that i the mean we should state
0: he... state that, that you are jewish as well yeah I'm so jewish, so,
1: but he that, that his the def- the default argument is from people defending the antisemitism was oh he just criticized israel but hmm. his allies were extremists and he, you know f- the, my great friend you know he, he was friends with people who murdered jews it's not just like he's him calling for a peace in the middle east yeah uh, he's hanging out with extremists and so more and more started coming out and i guess this is what did it for me was being gay you know i used to use, use twitter just to as a way of just trying out gags, really. Like, yeah. Do you remember those old remember days? Remember <laughs> Yeah. No, really. I was those were good times. It was like. Yeah, yeah. But you know,
0: well, you... now I go, I get this thing wherever I do, I do a slightly duff tweet, I get thousands of people going. See, this is right wing comedy. I'm like, yeah, it's all in this fucking tweet. Yeah. This yeah. thing, this thing that I come up with while I was having a shit, it's all yeah, here
1: exactly. And that's what it was for. And it was like, oh, and yeah. then you'd be surprised because you know what it's like. You're a comic. You mm. as mu- as long as you've been doing it sometimes you still get surprised by the joke you think's a bit mediocre suddenly Mm. is your biggest closer and a joke Mm. you think is genius and you get better at being able to read what's going to work and what isn't, but still it's worth chucking stuff out there and seeing what hits the wall. You know what I mean? What sticks or not. And so that's the way that I use Twitter. And then just, um, you start seeing things that you know to not be true, whether it's comics putting stuff up or or uh, people who uh, are associated with them and sort of saying, oh, this is a lie. And when you know something to be true or, or saying things like, oh, it's just because he's anti-Israel. And you're like, well, no, he did go and lay a wreath at someone who chopped off the balls of a Jewish athlete. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? He laid a wreath to commiserate the death of a terrorist that's a fact and when you got people who are just like and that's his words he wrote it in the morning star and all this stuff so when you get people like then or him liking a mural an anti-semitic mural or yes yes i
0: remember that i mean it was almost not that it would ever be but it's almost comically anti-semitic you know where you you think of like some lad who's 17 years old uh, he's doing sociology, and he just wants to get some girls. And he's like, "Oh, it's, it's my new, um, it's my new satire on uh, Zionism." Yeah,
1: yeah and it's, you know, it's,
0: it's got all the tropes. It's got, it's got big noses. Yeah. It's got just them grabbing money. If it, I mean, like, obviously the racism is one thing, but it's really shit is the yeah, other thing. Yeah, yeah. That's, and it's that's always also offensive.
1: And it just the thing is, it all adds up. But hmm. this at that point, even if Corbyn had said, and even if his followers had said. Yeah, that's a bit messed up. Yeah, I could see how that's an anti-Semitic trope. I can see the why that's upsetting. I things wouldn't have gone down the route that it did, but mm. but they didn't. And this is why they double. This is the problem. Is at that point they double down in the oh, it's not that he did anything wrong. It's that you're by you, me, Josh, or the few people who are trying to fight this stuff were point you're just pointing this out because you don't want because he's anti-zionist and you're a zionist and or because you're actually a tory and you want the tories to get in or because you're rich and you don't want to pay taxes and all of these things and that's what suddenly made it way way worse because something like certainly the rich thing and sophie hagan put out a tweet i remember just in the run-up she's a comic but uh, and she put out a thing just saying, oh, all this complaint about and Corbyn is just because people, they don't want to pay their taxes or whatever. And it was such hmm. a sort of, uh, you're like, whoa, like what? Is that what you're saying? This whole thing is actually started because what Jews have money, Jews are stingy. Like there's so hmm. much to unpack there. And then she put out later, like only after it got in, like 20,000 tweets, it's still up there. Oh, I'm sorry that people think that, that, but that's not what I mean. I need to educate myself. Yeah, but you're not deleting it. And one thing I've got
0: to go. You know, he said, "How hard is it like to be a Jewish person that's not doing well financially?" Because this stereotype must be—it
1: <laughs> must fucking. No, suck. I'm in an ex-council flat. I've got my five kids. Yeah, in, in this three-bedroom ex-council flat with no garden. Uh, look, I come from a wealthy background. I can't deny that. But my parents don't mm. give me money. I, you know, I'm making it as a stand-up. Things are bad now than they were but things were definitely like very tough um certainly like a couple of years ago and then going into covid uh really really tough so that stuff really is super duper frustrating but Mm. but what and the other thing is you know i go to my kids go to a jewish school um and you're at the gates and with the other sort of parents Jewish now it's like, okay, some, my kid, one of my kids just had a play date with someone. They've got a proper big old house. It's like, my kids are like, dad, you're a loser as I pick them up. Um, And then, but that's like one person. And then there's some people who work one, one of the moms works at the airport and doing security. And one, and then there's essentially a lot of teachers. There's a lot of estate Mm. agents. There's a lot of middle-class people with a few extremes of, few people who actually have a bit of money, not necessarily millionaires, but definitely, mm. um, you know, doing well. And then, and a few people, including myself, that <laughs> just got, <laughs> clinging on. Um, that's the reality of it. Um, so, but it, the idea that all Jews are wealthy and whatever, yeah, it drives me totally batty. Uh, but I, I just wanted to say that, that all of this is because the, the far left, and this bleeds into the left, All of it happened because they wanted to feel like they were good people, that they Mm. couldn't possibly be anti-racist or be support or being supporting someone who is racist. So rather than in just just admit it, like we all make mistakes or we all, Mm. you know, we all don't know the full information or whatever it is. But if Corbyn had just put his hands up and go, yeah, I see that's an anti-Semitic trope. I know, but what do you do every yeah. time? No, I am not racist. I am a good human being. What do his supporters think? He, we are not racist. We ca- it's impossible for us to be racist because we are on the left. So, i.e., you have to have some insidious motive for for saying that he and thus we are being racist, rather than just kind of going, well, maybe we need to look at that. What most people
0: think. Then there was also the thing with Corbyn whereby he would say i i deplore that and all kinds of yeah, racism yeah. mean, it was all it was all qualified so it was kind of like must have been a, a bit of a mad time for someone you know who who's yourself you know was nominally a labor voter of, of yeah. the left a comic as well culture it must have been quite a confusing time when you just looked around and, and things that are being said in and it, around it wasn't
1: you. confusing it was maddening and upsetting and i'm still somewhat you know, 2019 was at the peak of it at, at that election and I'm still somewhat traumatized from the whole experience. I've still lost, mm. There are still friends. I've lost best friends from that whole experience. And I'm still angry about it, to be honest, because mm. um, it. um the, it, the, I don't know, I actually don't really like using the term gaslighting. So, but, but it just, it was unending. And this is what, people don't seem to get is first of all how few jews there are in this country about sort of 250 000 or whatever yeah, yeah and of that two hundred fifty thousand, most like most of the population just want to get on with their lives so it's hmm. not like say let's go back to the analogy of the school gates of the couple of hundred parents at my school i pretty much am the only one who was actually really actively engaged in fighting this stuff now the rest of everybody else did think like 86% of the Jewish population in this country that Corbyn is an anti-Semite but most of them just get on with their lives because they're just trying to get Mm. by but for me I maybe it was a slightly worse or more intense because like you say being a comic and you're in a sort of traditionally left industry was half of my friends are friends uh, of from that side or from the arts and half of my friends are, are, are people, other are parents at this Jewish school. And they were slightly more in their little bubble where they weren't seeing the, 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 the constant onslaught of social media stuff that mm. I get from Facebook, from Twitter. There are comics that I've known, you know, 20 years and putting up the most outrageous things, like actual anti-Semitic things, and no one cares. And I... It's it just it, it it's and no one and 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 the comics who are meant to be all anti-racist and all this stuff and no one backing me up. A few other Jewish comics, and and uh, and that's been the hard hardest part of it all mm. is feeling somewhat alone. And the only people who really been fighting this and this idea, and again, this goes down to like these anti semitic jokes, like, oh, Israel is interfering in the elections. This is what they'd say, and all this stuff. It's like hey, I'm here, I'm behind the curtain. And the curtain is me and about 50 other Jews fighting probably about 100,000 Corbanites. So in just, in a pure numbers game, you mm. when you have got these pylons and the, being swamped, and now it's probably about 200 Jews and maybe 100 allies and other people who'll mm. do the occasional retweet or whatever. But the reality is, um at the peak it was probably like 100 to 200 thousand of these like far left people just piling on and there was just a couple of hundred of us trying to almost hold back that tide and that was the hardest part of it and people linking to blogs that you that you know like that are linked to, you know that, that, that is like started up by a holocaust denier and just like mad just it just got so mental I was gonna, yeah. yeah. I mean, one of the first times. I mean, obviously,
0: I was aware of some of these blind spots, and I, I, I remember the f- when I did in about twenty eighteen, I made a joke uh, about Corbyn and anti semitism on Mash Report. Oh yeah.
1: I, yeah, I, said,
0: yeah. I, said, I said I said I said I said something like he's he's like a gangster's wife. He might not have killed anybody personally, but he knows where the shovels. Yeah, are. yeah, yeah. I and, yeah, and like. But I remember, like, so many people from Jewish community reached out, and when I spoke to them, and and I, I realised speaking to people just how undefended um, they felt at that time, because, like you say, it was it felt insane that the things that a modern Western liberal culture is supposed to care about, um, that there was somehow like a, a bit of a pass for it, and and that to attack Corbyn for that was to attack left wing policies yeah. somehow.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, and 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 that's. That was, uh, and like I say, tying into that we must have some ulterior motive, rather than just if anybody had just said, including Corvin, you know, yeah, I can see that maybe I need to do some work on some stuff or whatever, but just this doubling, it was this, it's never ending doubling down. And the reason why it gets worse and worse is because then it's like that, you know, the EHE, the AHRC, uh, Equality Human Rights Commission, then they're investigating Labour the only other political party being investigated ever for racism uh, being the BNP. And then you'd sort of say that to them. And then, then it came out and they found that labor had broken the law and, Mm. and then, but the only way for, and even at that point, people are so invested in still thinking they're not racist, that they're a good human being that suddenly they're like, well, the only way that can be explained is that the EHRC is being controlled by Jews. And being controlled. And then they're going down into these sort of um, exactly the racist conspiracy theories that they're saying aren't real, or that mm. they're saying that. And then it becomes this sort of cycle.
0: It, you know, just to, I mean, it's obviously like, you know, I can see the effect this had on you. Is, is there a part of you, you know, like you, you do yeah. GB News, and then that is contentious among certain comics are you doing the comedy unleashed tour, which we should hype actually, I'm yep. um, doing some dates on that. I'm going to be at Portsmouth this Friday, but is there a part of you that after this process, just for fuck it? Do you know what I mean? Like oh, it, it, it,
1: not, not fuck it. Fuck you.
0: Yeah. To, to so, so these problem. things,
1: like how fucking dare they try and police what I say, who I speak to, whatever, because as far as I'm concerned, they have behaved abysmally during that whole time. And hmm. worse than that, they're just fucking hypocrites. That's the thing. It's the hypocrisy. And we're all hypocrites to me And we all, none of us mm. are perfect, but they genuinely think that they are, that their shit doesn't stick. that they've never said anything wrong ever. And that's the stuff that winds me up. Like, I'm going on, yeah, oh, I'm going on GB News. Oh, what? I'm going on and I'm arguing for a Labour government now. I'm arguing mm. for policies, fair, what I believe are fairer policies to for our society and that somehow makes me a bad person i mean what the fuck are they talking about like go fuck well you're him. an
0: inconvenience i spo- i suppose it's inconvenient for them that people like you do go on those shows and you know if you look at the lineups for comedy unleashed there are numerous um, people of the left on there but that you know they've gone down so far heavily this road that well, it's just going to be right. away. remember the origins. Yeah. I would just be Jim Davidson and Bernard Manning, a yeah, yeah. uh, tribute acts. and then and then suddenly it was some credible comics. They were like, well. Then again, just in the same way, there needs to be a new conspiracy theory, which is actually their right wing, and they've changed, and they're just they're, they're making the odd left wing noise, I mean it is, I think that's the problem, as you rightly say, is if if you're left wing, the brand is that you're the good guys, alright, so yeah. right wingers, you know, I, I've voted conservative many times, but you sort of you price in the, the nasty bastard shit, you know, like yeah. you work your way around that, you know those people exist within the party and stuff, and, and it would be fatuous to suggest otherwise, but the problem with, with the Labour Party, at times particularly under Miliband and Corbyn was like, where do you go after you've said, we're the good guys? We'll stick up for, for, you know, there's only one way to go.
1: Yeah, all they could do is is do this sort of endless doubling down. But it got, the thing is, you know, we're talking about that journey is, you know, 2017, you start, 16, you start noticing things, 17, tweeting, 18. And that there was two, three years, and it just really took over my life, being on Twitter, arguing, having these arguments ready, having things. And then I um uh I joined the liberal Deb, lib dems because I, you know, uh because I saw that was the only way in our area of keeping Labour out. And that uh, Catherine West had been rubbish during this whole Corbyn time. And um I remember someone chasing me down the road, screaming at me like 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 how dare you because I put a Lib Dem thing through the this is a very late labor area yeah. where I am crouching and stuff. And even like neighbor, one of my neighbors like kicked my Lib deb, deb, deb sign, uh, lib, uh, and but it's just funny Gee, that I, was,
0: I mean that's such a weird idea. Yeah, yeah. Crouch, like crouching in political violence, and the person they're attacking is a fucking Lib Dem. But burning, burning effigies of Joe Swinson.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, that horrible, <laughs> horrible woman. But the point after the election, it was a very. Um, I just sort of was just utterly exhausted. And my wife and I, and also looking at our neighbors slightly differently, like there hadn't been the support or anybody. Now a few people yeah. have since as more and more came out. But you but as you said, like look, you saying that joke was a really big deal because it was so frustrating knowing all this stuff. And every time the the BBC or whoever would report on it, they would get stuff wrong or they wouldn't go all, all the way. And you're like, why can't you just ask one of the couple hundred people here who really know their shit? And you can conf- and Jews, you know, we knew about all this stuff way before um everybody else, but that no one was reporting on it. And even though Jews mm. felt like we were like shouting and like this idea that we control the media and all this stuff, and it's like we had w- all of us were shouting, and no one was listening or cared about any of this stuff. And then when Corbyn like um allocated like, made his head of complaints. Uh, a woman who'd actually called, called out Rachel Wiley and who's just been... Rachel Wiley just won her case against her. Like, there was just... It felt like... It, it, it just, like, where is this going? It, it was genuinely, like, a scary time. And I know that seemed... Some people might see that as being... Feeling exaggerated, but that's what it felt. It felt like an onslaught. And because I guess people, if they're not in on it and aren't getting this kind of abuse... I had death threats i had violent threat from people, people i know but i had like on well, my wikipedia page being attacked like pylons online abuse through my website uh, emails and stuff i mean it was it was sort of insane and the thing is i think like most people as we, is that i'm not a traditionally a politically engaged person i was quite happy just being mm-hmm. like Oh, I'm Labour. That means I'm a good person, and I'm just going to vote Labour, and I don't want to have to think about any of the stuff. And I guess because, and this is the hypocrisy, is because of, of my own, is that because something affected me, I felt like I. That's what engaged me in that, mm. in, in that, in that arena. <music>
0: Okay, just button in, hope you're enjoying the chat with Josh there. Just to remind you of a couple of things. Also, um, for some reason, my podcasts on all platforms were only showing the last 100 podcasts uh so everything from podcast 1 to 63 if you've got into it recently and you want to listen back to some of the old ones some of the interviews we've just made those live again now so if you go back and refresh or update your podcast server they should be there uh, also keep checking out the late night bash podcast that i've been doing with olga cock it's basically the the concept of it is is i am the you know wannabe Gammon, I'm the guy that's getting old and getting grumpy, and she's the kind of wokey snowflake, and we're we're trying to talk about cultural wedge issues and come to some sort of understanding. Um, so do check that out, give it a rating and stuff like that. It's all good, you know, because Dave are paying for it and stuff. I don't want it to, I don't want them to go, oh, we give, we give you your own thing. No, and no one fucking listen to it. Um, so that would be good. No, I think you will enjoy it. Um, also, I've got a TikTok account. I'm trying to push this TikTok, and every time I mention it to my mates, they, it's not nancy to have a TikTok account. Maybe I need to do a national campaign for TikTok just to kind of get them some better PR among blokes my age. Jeff Norcott says, it's not non to have a Twitter. Um, so for the time being, I'm not flogging anything in particular, but obviously uh, there's a book. There's my book there. If you haven't, you know, if you've got an Audible account, I believe that you can use your credits and listen to it. If you have listened to it, obviously keep those reviews coming in for it and stuff like that. And let's welcome a few more uh, patrons. I think two of these are returners again, Thank you, Patreon, for booting them out. Jane Haslam. I do remember Jane's name. Jane Haslam. Uh, Matt Wynn. We know Matt Wynn. We've mentioned Matt Wins many times. The, the Haslam Wins. Are you married? The Haslam Wins. Wynn is such a cool surname. Haslam as well. Are you, you in a fucking C.S. Lewis book? Or is it Aslan? I don't know. But anyway, thank you, both of you, for checking your accounts and reactivating them. And then this one, I think, is a new account, which is Colin Smithers. Smith. And I know Colin that your life took a turn for the worst, if that really is your your surname, or maybe you're a good mates with fucking Ian, is it Ian Spamman? Ian Spamman and Colin Smithers. I mean, they do sound like two sort of sycophantic <laughs> assist, personal assistants. Smithers. So what you got to remember is that we, we don't know you. So we haven't met many people actually called Smithers. So can we just enjoy it for a while? But uh, you must have been so pleased when The Simpsons got a bit less popular and Family Guy came in smithers i mean god and every time you go on a stag do there's a new group of blokes that are experiencing this joke for the first time and they have to run through the repertoire of gags so god bless you colin smithers thanks for your support okay let's get back to the chat with josh howie So, we spoke a bit about what kind of guides you in terms of your sort of political and, and social views. I was, I was interested. I mean, one thing that I've just got to r- remind myself of, you had this great routine about uh, the fact that you were in, in a Jewish hip hop oh, yeah. um, group. I can't remember the bloody name.
1: No, I was, called? yeah, I was in a Jewish hip hop group. Um, it's all about wanting to be black, like a white guy wanting to be black. And so, when I was 16, yeah. I was this Jewish hip hop group. We were called Circumcised. I was Snip Doggy Dog. <laughs> and we wrote songs that dealt with the lifestyle of the young Jewish male, like oblige tales. And all yes. Don't fuck with me. My father's a lawyer, and there was a song about wanting to be the same as everybody else. Slip me some skin, um, and uh, yeah. and this is a real thing that you did. Yeah, you yeah were, you I had. I used Jewish to Jewish lads I went doing to School some in hip-hop. Notting Hill. I went. I went to school down Portobello Road, and I used to go to this barber around the corner on Portobello Road that that would like do this fade into the back of my head, the Star of David. But mm. what happened was, I was actually raised as a Buddhist. And then when so I... Your parents, were they both Jewish? So my mum's Jewish, my dad isn't. And mm. um, what happened was, I was raised as a Buddhist, though. They were both Buddhist. And they were, I was sort of forced to chant. But when I was about 16, I was at my grandmother's house, watching this film called Exodus, about the creation of Israel. And uh, then I was like, wait a minute, why am I trying to... And, and, and I was desperate. And I was also... All my friends... It's, it was a sort of classic... Kid with like my parents have money, but I'm trying to pretend I'm like super street and hanging out in Notting Hill yeah. and you know, and all my mates are black. It's, um, you know, it's pathetic, really. Uh, not to have not to have black friends, but just the enforced level of it, like me thinking that that made me cool somehow. Uh, yeah. and also my accent was different and just you know, it was, it was, you know, I'm, I was a 16 year old idiot. Um, and so suddenly it was like, wait a minute, I'm Jewish, and then I sort of charged full into that identity and really almost created from nothing because I never went to synagogue. I'd never um, been, I hadn't been raised Jewish in any way, but I just sort of became obsessed with it, that it mm. took over my entire life. So that when I was 18, two years later, well, um, I moved to Israel and I ended up trained to, to work on a kibbutz, but then I ended up um, training to be a rabbi um and i was there and then and then i got kicked out and that kind of all ended um what did you get kicked out for i got caught i did a edinburgh show about it years ago called chosen but it was all basically i got caught sleeping with a non-jewish girl um on uh tisha barb which is a very sad jewish festival and it was in 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 yeshiva which is the jewish rabbinical school um Mm. you are not allowed. The dormitories are like segregated. You don't have, and even the cleaners are men. So, but, but I'd met this girl in Tel Aviv. Like we'd had a weekend off, and I'd gone with my mates to Tel Aviv, and we met this girl on the beach. It was a Roman Catholic girl from Rome with this big Star of David. I'm sorry, with the bigger cross. But I, and I kind of hooked up with her. But when she, we bumped into each other in Jerusalem, but we couldn't find anywhere to sort of be together. Mm. And then I knew that that evening because this was. A, Big holy festival that everybody would be down at the Wailing Wall at the hotel. All the rabbi, so I knew everything would be empty. So I snuck her into my dorm room and I got caught by one of the rabbis, one of the head rabbis, and they were very, very angry at me. Rightly so. It was very mm. disrespectful to their thing. I mean, look, but i I was 18 and horny and an idiot. Um mm. things changed. Um and um but I love to fact
0: that at that point your dick overtook whatever kind of any face, any, face any spiritual
1: absolute. <laughs> uh, I
0: mean that's the one true god at the age of 18 of course is, you, you know, is your dick and what it's telling you to do
1: absolutely and um so yeah they they sort of politely asked me to leave I think they were a, they were also frustrated with me because I think they I was pretty good in my, in the training. I I think I would have made a good rabbi. Like there's a lot of analytical thought. There's a lot, it's like, it's very puzzling and you're dissecting stuff. And I still do it to a degree in terms of religious commentary, like reading the Torah. And that gives me great pleasure to kind of find interesting angles on things. Um, So I think they they saw that I had a sort of, somewhat of a gift for that. But also because I had been raised secular in this kind of quite, um, I hesitate to say, cool i mean what what it's called but like hippie ish sort of trendy yeah like I, i they sort of thought that i'd be quite good to send out there and Be a And then I could speak to the kids and be a cool rabbi or whatever. Uh, The zeal
0: zeal of the convert. I mean, that's what I think is interesting about your situation because a lot of kids will be grown up in in some kind of religious household and it will be very strict or small-key conservative. And then they'll rebel and become more free, new age. Yours is the exact opposite. Absolutely. Yours Uh, is quite hippie-ish and you go, fuck that. Yeah. I, I don't... I want to be in all mad
1: environments, no touching girls. <laughs> yeah, that was, exa- that was exactly it. And it was a reaction to that because being raised as a Buddhist, but my, my parents, they sort of, when I was 13, they dragged me off to live with Native Americans for a couple of weeks. And I did like a sweat lodge. I did like all these different like rebirths and tantric yoga and all this mad stuff that was kind of forced upon me, like any religious parent, but it was all hippie stuff. And so mm. I absolutely, this was, me pushing against that um, and but I did saying all of that uh, and but that also came out in terms of like I never smoked my parents you know did, did drugs um, and or you know smoke weed and other things and whatever but I've never done any drugs I've never smoked cigarettes and and um, so there is that was also part of that pushback but that's not to say that that the Judaism as a religion even though judaism doesn't like the word religion it seems more as a way of life Mm -hmm. doesn't give me great pleasure and spiritual pleasure you know so um i don't want to put it all on that it wasn't i wasn't trying to get religious when i was out there but what happened was i was actually just very much a zionist i wanted to reclaim the land and but when i got out there i was working they put me in this on this kibbutz um put me in a kiosk selling ice creams and i thought i was going to be like digging ditches and Mm. i had this yeah that's not
0: very kibbutz all of
1: that had been done 50 years before so they put me (laughs) said they did it as their favor to me they uh, because actually on the kibbutz all the volunteers weren't jewish they were all people like hide there are a lot of people like hiding from different parts Mm. of the world it's a bit weird the volunteers and actually They were very anti Semitic, a lot of the volunteers, which is also strange. I was the only Jew amongst these volunteers. And I think that the people who did the allocating of the jobs saw that and were like, oh, we're going to do you a little favor and put you in the Kushti job, which was in this sort of, this was down in the Enghetti, this Enghetti, it was in the desert. And so it was like in a kiosk and it was air conditioned and you could eat all the sweets you wanted. You just couldn't steal money. But, and you were just selling ice cream. They thought, and after I did that for about a month and I went back to them and said, look, could you, I want to do something hard, please. (laughs) They thought I was mental. So they put me in the date plantation, which was a nightmare. Like I was up at four in the morning. It was like you're hanging off trees you're getting pricked by the branches and these big welts. It was like a totally, there were snakes, like the most poisonous snakes in the world. Uh, All this stuff. And I was like, That was like, oh yeah, now I'm doing it. Now I'm reclaiming the land. Um, This is hilarious.
0: The idea of you going there with such a sense of mission and then selling Saleros to
1: tourists, I'd imagine. Yeah, that's (laughs) that's what that was the dream. And then, but anyway, finally, this guy joined from Canada, this Jewish guy, and he told me about this kind of scholarship thing where you was called uh, the Jerusalem Fellowships, and they basically paid for you for a month to travel around. Israel and you have talks and all this stuff. And I was like, oh, that's great. Well, they're going to pay for me for a month and I'll get to do all this cool stuff, go to Masada and all these places. Anyway, it was a brainwashing program, essentially, where they get these secular Jews, treat you amazingly, and then they kind of like you do this cool stuff and then you do these lectures. And it's brilliantly designed so that, and of that, there were about 50 kids doing it. And I'd say about 25 of us stayed on after the course finished. And then from that, maybe even then 20 were then really into the rabbinical program. stuff. So, so it worked amazingly well. So I didn't go out there to get religion as such, but um, I guess I, I always sort of say I got brainwashed and I sort of did. And there's a, there's still a hold on me, even though it's 20 plus hmm. years later now. Um, I believe in God and I believe that God wrote the Torah and all this stuff. And it's, it's, I, you know it's not going to budge
0: I mean it's so funny because like you, you know you've held on to uh like a, you've sort of resurrected really a part of your family culture yeah um, but also you know in, in Jewish culture we understand like the, the the importance of humor and so like the the recon- you know you don't strike me as like like massively like orthodox obviously because yeah. like what you what you do in the subjects that you talk about it would be difficult to to do that although you know I haven't seen you stand up for a while but it's interesting that in a way like you've sort of Brought them both together somehow in, in a really unlikely way.
1: Yeah, well, I was raised culturally Jewish in that, yeah,
0: you know,
1: we, uh, you know, the bagels and the films and, the, and all of that stuff. And I knew I was Jewish. Um, the, a weird thing happened to me when I was 13. I st- went to boarding school and we we're all lined up by these older kids. And they started going around, and they would ask, pull kids out, and they would say, What's your name? And whatever. And then this guy got to me and said, What's your name? And I was like, Joshua, he goes, What's your surname, Howie? And he goes, are you a fucking Jew? And I thought this guy was gonna kick me. And I knew that I was Jewish. Like I knew my mom was Jewish. And this guy was gonna like, pardon me. And I said, yeah. And he goes, all right, mate, you need anything. (laughs) (laughs) So this guy turns out, he went and joined the Israeli army. He turned out he was totally mental. And he- Alfie, Alfie
0: um, Solomon from Peaky Blinders. Yeah,
1: yeah, no, no, seriously, he was like that. And he and I inherited his desk a couple of years later yeah. and he had carved into it with a knife, Germany will pay. Like, <laughs> like This guy was like hardcore. But the point is at that moment, 13 years old, this guy's gonna like, I think he's gonna punch me in the face or something. But something made me go, yeah, like, fuck you
0: all of which, I mean, like it, it, it sort of helps explain why he becomes such a fine comic and, and writer. And, 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 you know, I'd love for you to come back on the show because I feel like we've only, there was a list of things I wanted to talk to you about, but it's so compelling to hear, you know, cause it's in our recent past now, you know, the, the Corbyn years and, and what it was like to be Jewish and in Britain at that time. But some, something about the, you know, COVID and the, you know, um, a lot of the political events have happened now. That is a bit of time. And it was yeah. interesting to, to, re, to revisit it with you. Um, in terms of your output and stuff, people should be following you across, obviously, across all social media. Is there anything else we should be directing people to check out?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm terrible at like the hustle. That's my, <laughs> that's my thing. So I wish I should have sat down and thought. If anybody is interested, I mean, look, please welcome to follow me on Twitter. It's essentially yeah. me retweeting stuff about either anti semitism or the trans debate. That's <laughs> with the occasional <laughs> knob gag thrown in. Uh, but they're more than welcome to do so please watch headliners i i think it's i just think it's a great show i like lo- there are people on there i don't agree with politically and the whole point of the show and really the larger thing of gb news um is to have debate which i yeah. felt like you weren't getting from the bbc that wasn't being provided and so yes i think there's been a few things that there are people on the sh- channel i don't agree with and whatever but that's the point but for me i am when I go on, I say exactly what I want to say. But and if I'm sitting next to someone who I disagree with, like Nick Dixon or Leo Curse or whatever, we have a disagreement. We have a little bit of an mm. argument and then we move on to the next story. And it doesn't mean that we're not friends and don't respect each other or like each other. And that's obviously what's missing now is this kind of it's become this kind of the tribalism, that the, the mm. element of it, that even by associating with someone who disagrees with you, damns you. And then you really new
0: word, this anybody. Remember, you actually had to fucking do something wrong. Now all you've got to be do is adjacent. Yeah, be doing
1: sit next to someone who you disagree with. And even if you're saying the opposite to them, that's enough yeah. to, to don't...
0: You, know, you were still breathing the same fucking yeah, air, I'll Josh. I, I mean, I, th- I think that would be a good challenge uh, just to end the show is that somebody... If you do listen to this podcast, i get printed of lefties listening, and there'll be some people who will still be going, GB News, I won't listen to it. Just, just a little challenge for yourself. Just one episode. Pick one when Josh is on and just watch it and then just compare it do a little search online and just compare it to what's being said about it. And, you know, just, you know, always worth getting outside the echo chamber. And and Josh, I mean, hopefully you'll come back in the near future and we can pick up uh, the conversation.
1: Absolutely, man. Thank you so much for inviting me. I really appreciate it.
0: Okay, so that was the chat with Josh Howie there. What an interesting bloke, and what a journey uh, he's been on. And I, I want to get him back soon and, and talk. Because there's so many other things that he's both an interesting and funny man to talk with and about. So do give him a follow. So as I always ask, you know, please keep the reviews coming in for this podcast. I've been lucky to have some good ones recently. Um, this one's fr- on Friday. If you if you give me um, five star reviews. On iTunes, I will read them out. Please leave five star reviews everywhere, but but iTunes is the only one I know how to access. So this one's on Friday from Timmers sixty four, five stars and just a smiley face. Uh, this one um, from oh right, so that was that was the only one, just Timmers um uh, oh no 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 this is a new one as well this is from pigeon cottage oh you definitely sound west country love this podcast great interviews with some of my favorite people like mark Steele and lots of new voices plenty of thank god it's not just me that thinks this moment i usually listen when i'm gardening I've, <laughs> i have nearly accidentally chopped my fingers off with the succoters a couple of times when i've laughed so much i mean that really did fit that accent Um, And this one says that he may sound like your local plumber, but Jeff's take on current affairs is humorous and informative. And let's be honest, he's saying what we're all thinking. And that's from someone who calls themselves Vandal. So yeah, if you like the podcast and you're just listening to Ad Hoc, subscribe, um, give it a review. And remember, join the queue. Just join the queue, okay? This is is Britain. Join the fucking queue. (laughs) to walk or fast to walk